Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. This is Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Yesterday, I opened for you an introduction to the study that we're beginning to engage in, and I urge you, if you did not hear yesterday's message, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and listen carefully because it lays the foundation for the study we're now going to do in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is such a magnificent book and is so seldom anyone preaches on this book. For years I avoided it except for the 11th chapter, the faith chapter. Literally, the book of Hebrews explains to us and makes plain the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Now, I was speaking with a dear brother about this message, and he was sharing some things with me that he'd heard another pastor say. And it becomes very clear that we need to differentiate between the wicked acts of the church. And he was saying that when a church begins to walk in known sin, when it begins to open the door to every uncleanness, it ceases to be the church. And if you want biblical basis for that teaching, look in the book of Revelation in the letters to the seven churches, the warning is that if you do not heed the warning Jesus is bringing, he said, I will remove the lampstand from your church. And when the lampstand is removed from your church, you can continue to function as a church. You can continue having praise and worship you can continue having the social events. You can continue managing your programs. You can continue doing all the things you were doing before, but now the presence of God has departed. And as happened with Eli after the loss of the ark, this precious daughter-in-law, as she was giving birth, her son died. And she said, Ichabod, the glory has departed. Many of you today are attending churches where the glory has departed because you have institutionally opened the door to every kind of uncleanness. Now, there is institutional uncleanness that causes the presence of God to depart. This is in part depending on the pastor, but it's also dependent upon the people who are on the vestry or the board. As they make decisions, grieving the heart of God, entering into all kinds of entertainment, entering into joking and laughing and treating the things of God as though they were not holy. The Lord will only put up with that so long, and then his glory departs. Ichabod is written over the church, and people may not even recognize that the Spirit of God has departed. 
and I fear that many of you go to churches where the inspiration you feel is the same as you would feel if you went to the opera at the Kennedy Center. You would have a few tears. You would have some good laughs. You would feel good inside, but there's no presence of God in that opera. Well, likewise, you can be emotionally charged up. You can hear strategies for success. But if there is no conviction of sin and there is no holiness, if a straight word is not delivered, it is because the presence of God has departed from that church and you are then reduced to being a social organization, a 501c3, a charitable organization, but not a church. Because what makes it a church is the presence of Jesus. And if he is not lifted up institutionally, if he is not lifted up, if he is not proclaimed, if his blood is not proclaimed, if the cross is not proclaimed, if sin and unrighteousness, if they are not dealt with, it is not a church. Now, on the other hand, there is a second part. And that is with an individual Christian. If that individual Christian begins to walk in sin and uncleanness, the glory of God will depart from that life. For there is the church and Jesus is the head of that church. And then there is the individual body, a stone being built into the house of God. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if we walk in willfulness, in bitterness, in anger, if we walk in uncleanness, in sexual impurity, if we walk in known sin, the glory of God will depart from us as an individual. And what's terrifying is when these people who are walking without the presence of the true, righteous, holy spirit. It's not the happy spirit. It's not the pleasing spirit. It's the holy spirit. And if you do not have the holy spirit, and then you sit on a vestry or a board, and you make executive decisions with the pastor about what's going to happen in that church, you are bringing into that church an unholy element, and you are fighting for what is darkness. Many times I've sat on boards, church boards, and recognized that the people were chosen because of their financial abilities and their giving, or their status in the community. They were not chosen because they walk humbly and holy before the living God. And the one who has the greatest sympathy from my heart is a wonderful, godly husband and wife who come to a church, accept the call, only to discover that their board or their vestry is filled with ungodly and unrighteous people who will oppose them at every step as they try to institute 
the holy things of God in that congregation. My heart goes out for that dear pastor. Now, yesterday in the foundation that we laid, I was very clear with you that the doctrine about sin that is held in the church today, the false doctrine that you can be a sinning Christian, started in the Garden of Eden, flowed through the stream of human generations in varying degrees of air, onward toward and through the Greek philosophers, the Gnostics, finally the false Christianity as it is described in Calvinism and the Reformed Church. Until today, we have a nation that is utterly wicked, where the power of the gospel seems to be utterly muted. And on every street corner, a false gospel is proclaimed that has no power, a form of godliness, but no power. The book of Hebrews begins to talk about how to establish oneself in Jesus Christ. I shared with you yesterday that Jesus Christ is the final word of God. Let me read Hebrews, the first chapter. Long ago, having spoken to the fathers in many different and various ways by the prophets, in the last of these days spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the universe or it could be translated the ages, that is, through whom he created the different time spans, the different authorities that would rule during those time spans, different ages. And we're coming now to the final age we're entering into that age in which the second coming will occur. And I'm looking for the coming of Jesus every day. I know we are at the end, the total end of earth's history and the beginning of something completely new under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, part of what I'm going to need to do in walking through the book of Hebrews with you is to very carefully define who this Jesus is. And I'm intentionally using the word is and not was. Because Jesus was the same in the past, the present, and the future. We need to understand who this, who this man Jesus is, who this God Jesus is. We need to understand his function and his role today as well as the past and the future. Now, it's important that we understand who he is and what he did for us at Calvary so that we can forever put away the lie 
that he is not our Savior, that death is our Savior. We need to forever put away the lie that the blood of Jesus was not adequate to totally cleanse us in the present, now, to remove all sin from our hearts, to restore us to his likeness now. That's the teaching of Scripture. It is not the teaching of Scripture that we should spend the rest of our lives struggling against sin that we are always falling into. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the gospel of Jesus Christ were that I have to be ravaged by the devil, torn down and taken into sin time after time, and I have no victory in Jesus, then thank you, I'm not interested in being a Christian because it's a false teaching. No, I'm interested in a gospel that is literally good news, that it delivers me now from every bondage. And so let's begin. In verse 3, it says, Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the ages who being the radiance of the glory and exact expression of his essence and sustaining everything by the rhema of his power, having by himself accomplished a cleansing for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, we need to understand a couple of things to make clear what I just shared with you. First, we serve one God. We do not serve three gods. We serve one God. It is not the God of Allah. This is the God of heaven and earth. We do not serve the moon God of Mesopotamia. We serve the creator God, the God who rules over all things. This one God expresses himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, prior to Jesus being born of Mary, he was not called the Son. This is a new manifestation of God. Now, we know that he existed from eternity. We know, for example, and I'll share with you in just a moment the scripture, that when it says in the beginning in Genesis, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. We know that God would later express himself as Jesus. For Jesus was the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything to do with this earth has happened through this man, Jesus, 
pre-incarnate. That means before he was born in Bethlehem. And now as a son of man. Now he is in the likeness of man. I'll try to make this clear. Go with me. Keep your finger right there in Hebrews. But go with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. I'll begin with John, the Gospel, the first chapter, the first verse. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. Again, Logos means in the Greek, the idea behind and the power behind everything that is created. In other words, the word conceived it before it was brought forth into the physical realm. In the beginning was the logos or the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that word was is translated from a Greek word that is not simply past tense. So don't take this, the word was God, as only in the past. This Greek word means always has been, always will be. It is a state of continuation with no end. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. That is, through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not been able to overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. And the word believe here in the Greek does not mean intellectual assent or agreement. It means to be bound together with. I used to hear my dad in his Bible studies. He would say, there was a man who was a tightrope walker. And this actually happened. They put a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Not a hemp rope, but a cable. And this man, this daredevil, was going to walk across. And so he did so. And he came back safely. And then he said, now I'd like to take one of you with me. And he put a wheelbarrow up on that cable, 
And he said, who would like to climb in the wheelbarrow and have the ride of their life? He said, do you believe I can do this? Oh, yes, we believe you can do that. Well, who would like to climb in the wheelbarrow and I'll take you across? Not one person was willing to get in that wheelbarrow. They believed he could do it, but they were unwilling to get into the wheelbarrow. Well, this word in the Greek, believed, means you get in the wheelbarrow. In the biblical text, if you don't get in the wheelbarrow, you don't believe. In other words, it's a casting of my life. It's a casting of all that I have and saying, okay, I'll do it. Verse 8, he himself was not the light. This is speaking of John the Baptist. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. In other words, John was prophesying that this light, this incredible logos, that the darkness could not overcome, this light was willing to give every person the right to become the children of God. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. For those of you who want to claim that you can walk in darkness and still be in Jesus, you don't understand the light. You're unwilling to get in the wheelbarrow. You cannot cross the Niagara if you're not in the wheelbarrow. And only Jesus Christ can take you across. And if you don't go across, you die. He continues. Verse 10, he was in the world and through the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed, to those who climbed into his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So what we're going to find in the book of Hebrews is a supernatural work of grace where a man or woman, a boy or a girl can be completely changed, transformed, made into a new creature where the old ways are laid aside. And now you walk without sin in Jesus Christ because sin is rebellion against God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, John the Baptist bears witness. He says, 
This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John the Baptist was older than Jesus in human flesh. John knew that this was the eternal God coming from heaven, preexistent. Now, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the father's side, he has made him known. Now I bear witness today that this Jesus that I'm describing for you has the power and the authority and gained the right via his crucifixion and atoning sacrifice to restore us entirely and completely to the Father and to himself. I want to take one more brief passage of Scripture before we continue in the book of Hebrews. And that's found in Colossians, the first chapter. And I'll begin reading with verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that word forgiveness in the Greek is aphemy, and it means removal. In other words, our sins through Jesus Christ can be removed from us. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. What is darkness? Darkness is the domain of the devil. This world is filled with darkness, with every evil thing. Tell me, do you think that all of the wonder of America just happened by accident? Why didn't something like America happen in Africa? They were bound in Africa by their traditions. They were bound in Africa by witchcraft and every kind of evil. And so an America never emerged. What about India? With the worship of all of the gods of India. No, India never produced something like America. China. Look at the nations of the world. Never at any time in the history of the world has a nation emerged so blessed, so happy, 
so free, so excelling in excellence. The only other nation that we could possibly look at was Israel. That's why we refer to America as the Judeo-Christian ethic, because America was built on the Old and the New Testaments of Scripture. It was not built on Vishnu or Shintoism or African witchcraft or on Muhammad or Muslim or Muhammad. That's not what America was built with. Even today, if you go to the Muslim lands and you see the women covered in their burqas, why? Because the men have no moral ability to resist because there was no teaching of righteousness. They were not transformed and changed into the likeness of Jesus. I mean, these things don't happen by accident. A people's faith creates their culture. The culture creates a nation. And when wickedness sweeps into a nation, it begins to die, and the culture begins to be utterly corrupted. And darkness comes over the land. And that's what we're experiencing in America. Utter darkness is enfolding us in its grasp because there is no teaching of righteousness and Jesus is not lifted up over this nation. Jesus has been cast out of the schools. He's been cast out of the marketplace. He's scorned among the progressives and the leftists. We are in such a, a precarious place of destruction. The power of God is going to have to come and judge America, or he must go back and repent of his judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, for we have become Sodom and Gomorrah. You cannot enjoy the benefits of a Christian culture and then destroy the Christian faith because that will destroy the nation. I read this in Colossians, the first chapter. For by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So if a nation turns and worships other gods and they establish Baal idols and Vishtu idols and other idols across the nation, and the Wiccans become more and more popular and powerful. The sexual impurity of the Kardashians and all in, the, in that ilk out of Hollywood 
and the filth like a vile stream pours out across this nation. How can we survive? We will not survive. We will destroy ourselves. And we are in the process of doing that. And the church has not stood up against this wickedness. The church has not stood up against abortion. If the Christians of this nation had stood up and said, no more, it is done. You will not abort a baby. It's murder. This would have all stopped. And now we find not only are they aborting babies, they're experimenting on babies in the womb in terrifying ways. They're even taking the baby parts and selling them for research. This is worse than Goebbels did in Nazi Germany. And this is America? And where is the church? Having our happy time. Our wonderful concerts and programs and our do-good stuff. And we're dying. The church is dying in America. It's almost gone. If there is not a resurgence of holiness in this land, both institutionally and individually, we will be swept from the land. Verse 17, Colossians 1, verse 17. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. See, if he doesn't hold it together, it won't hold together. If Jesus does not hold America in his hand and hold us together, we will destroy ourselves in racial wars. And that's what our president has been trying to set up. Racial wars, religious wars, divide and conquer Brokenhearted. The institutional sin and the personal sin we have to come to terms with, or this nation will not hold together. It can only be held together in Jesus. It says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body. The church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. The problem is many of you have not been freed from blemish and accusation. You're still walking in your sin and you believe you're saved. It was the intention of Jesus to reconcile you, to cleanse you, to restore you. There is such, how do you even begin to say this? 
Lord, show me. There is such a place of glory. There is such a place of intimacy. There is such a place of power and authority in Jesus Christ for you. If you will be reconciled with Jesus. Many of you today who call yourself Christians are alienated from God. And in your minds, you are an enemy of God because of the evil behavior that you practice. Now, what I want you to see as we come to this book of Hebrews is that we're going to have to deal with this person, Jesus Christ. He is God's final word to us. The judgment then comes next. And so I come today preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. That you might be sanctified and made holy. And made free of every blemish. That you could walk clean in Jesus Christ without a guilty conscience. Not because you've been taught some slick sleight of hand that says, oh, you cannot leave your sin, but you can walk in Jesus. What a horrific Gnostic teaching. It is not of Scripture. It is heretical. It is demonic. Because it has allowed men and women to be free, to walk in full rebellion against Jesus, while claiming that they're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be a follower of the devil and a follower of Jesus. And I know some of you say, but pastor, I'm so weak. That's because you have spent so little time with Jesus and you've spent so little time on holiness, meditation, prayer, the reading of scripture, searching after Jesus. You're not going to go to heaven by accident. It's going to be a reflection of your life. Have you sought after Jesus with all your heart? And some of you are now seeking after him, but you're still walking in uncertainty. Don't give up. Seek Jesus with all your heart and you will find him. It says in Hebrews that, that Jesus sat down at the right hand of majesty, having become so much better than the angels. In other words, he was, he was created in the womb of a, of a mama. He was born a human person. We were born lower than the angels. But this is what the Father says about him. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. Hebrews, the first chapter, verse 6. And again, when he may bring in the firstborn into the habitable world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And so he brought this son, Jesus, the firstborn, 
into the habitable world, into our world. And he commanded the angels to worship him. The angels have not ever been commanded to worship anyone except God and God alone. But God is one God, three persons. And now suddenly the angels see an expression of God in a man, a baby born in a manger. And they are commanded to worship. And the first thing they did was lift their voices in praise and worship on that on that field with the shepherds, praising and worshiping Jesus. To the angels, he says, the one making his angels spirits and his, and his ministers a flame of fire. And to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom, that is, a scepter of absolute integrity, innocence, straightness, holiness. That is what will give Jesus the right to rule. That is what will give Jesus the right to offer himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And the Lord God of heaven says, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Because of this God, your God, anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. So Jesus is singled out by God the Father because he is his son, an expression of himself. You remember when Jesus came out of the water of baptism. John tried to deter him and say, no, no, you can't do that. Someone was always stepping in the way of Jesus and saying, no, that's not the right thing to do. Peter, no, Jesus, you can't die on the cross. Peter, get behind me. Satan, get behind me. You at the beginning, O Lord, laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They themselves will pass away, but you remain continually, and they will all become old as a garment and as a mantle. You will roll them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. In other words, he's saying, look, the earth is like a, a garment. Gets old and dirty. Gets holes in it. Can't be repaired. It's cast away. He's saying this, this man, Jesus, will never be cast away. He is going to be forever through the eons of eternity, the full expression of God. He will be in the heavenlies forever, a son of man. In a body like we will receive when we reach that celestial city. 
That's such glorious news to my heart. He continues, verse 13 of Hebrews, the first chapter. Now to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I may put down your enemies as a footstool of your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits being sent forth for service because of the one being about to inherit salvation? So here we have it. God the Father considers Jesus to be his son, to be divine, to be God. And he commands the angels to worship him. And this expression of God that we know as Jesus is coming now into the earth in righteousness, purity, holiness. And he's coming to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice in order to open a way for you and for me to be washed and made clean, to be brought out of the darkness into the light. Now, I know today that the object of Jesus' love is you who are a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. I know that you are precious to him. I know that he came for you. I know that you must be transformed, metamorphosed, changed into the likeness of Jesus, or you will never see Jesus. I know that you must leave your sin and you must repent and be born from above and brought into the glorious redemption of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know the church will not be changed or transformed into the likeness of Jesus until the individual members are changed into his likeness. Colossians, the first chapter, verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Pastor, do you believe in Christian perfection? Absolutely, I believe in Christian perfection. Did Plato believe in perfect? No. The Greek philosophers didn't believe in it. The Gnostics did not believe in Christian perfection. Does the church today teach and believe 
that it's possible to be perfected in Jesus Christ? No. They believe that that happens when you die. And somehow your sins are taken away. I believe in Christian perfection. And I believe in it because the Apostle Paul believed in it. And Jesus taught it. He says, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect. That's not just mature. That's without spot or wrinkle in Christ. Five minutes. This is not of ourselves. This is of Jesus. If you deny Christian perfection, you are denying the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you must question whether or not you are a Christian. See, the church has has fallen. The church has become sick. Many churches have already died, and the glory of God has already departed from them. The cry of my heart is, O Lord, restore your church. Restore your people. Teach us again the way of the cross. When we look at this first chapter of the book of Hebrews, we see that the Savior that has been given to us by the Father is adequate and powerful. It is not God's fault if you sin. Pastor, yeah, we're going to have to next have a call on the line that wants to bring up a scripture regarding what you've been sharing to see what your thoughts are on it. Ask them to call tomorrow. We have a caller who's calling, but we're just about out of time. I can't do justice to a caller right now, but I'd love to hear from you tomorrow. So let's wrap up today. Uh, I've been given the warning. We have about two minutes left on this broadcast. We are presented with a Jesus who is God. We are presented with a Jesus. The angels are commanded to worship. We are presented with a Jesus with all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, if this Jesus cannot get the job done, it's not because he lacks the power, the authority, or the will, or the ability to get the job done. It's because of rebellious hearts who will not recognize his authority and who are so caught up with the ways of darkness that they will not turn to the light. I ask you to carefully Two minutes. read through this first chapter. Pray through this first chapter of the book of Hebrews, the first chapter of Colossians, and the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And tomorrow, we're going to dive right into chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. Now, 
Let's pray. Almighty God, I cannot emotionalize this issue for your people, but rather, Lord, they must be called to study and meditate. And I know that you are calling many of them to enter into yourself and to come much, much closer to you, to enter into the depth where the victory is found. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon them as they seek to respond to your Holy Spirit. I pray in your name. Amen. I welcome you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory with great joy.